0: Welcome to New York. Update with Jake Jacobs. Presenting a special Rockland County Election Edition interview. See archives at nyupdate.org. right, hi and welcome to New York Update. It has been a while for me. Ever since the pandemic, we have not been weekly. But we have done a couple of special editions. And today, for Rockland County residents, this is going to be very interesting. We are here with Jeffrey Greenberg, who is running for... Clarkstown supervisor. Clarkstown town supervisor. You have to say town twice in there. <laughs> but how you doing today, Jeffrey?
1: I'm wonderful. Thank you for
0: having me. Yeah, great. So what I'm going to do is really start with the basics. You know, hopefully people are hearing this in time to vote, making up their minds about who to vote for. If you live in Clarkstown, at the top of the ticket this year, it's going to be the supervisors race. And the incumbent supervisor is George Homan. You are a businessman that is aiming to replace a sitting supervisor. Tell us first a little bit about yourself and then what motivated you to get in this race and try to take out George Homan. Sure.
1: Uh, I'm 42 years old. I was born in the Bronx and at three years old, my parents uh, moved with us to Clarkstown. Uh, New City specifically,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and I grew up here. I went to New City Elementary, Fields Festa Junior High, and Clarkstown North. After I graduated high school, I went on to the university at Buffalo, where I got my degree in marketing and management, and then I pursued a master's degree at Columbia University in clinical and applied psychology. As far as my professional career, I started out in the entertainment industry working for Sony Music in distribution and manufacturing, Mm -hmm. and then started my first business in 2006, which was a human resources database for the hospitality industry. It was called tablesetter.com. And the concept behind this business was uh, anyone who's ever worked in a restaurant knows that there's several taboos in terms of trying to find the right position and the right job for you. Uh, It's very taboo to say to the person interviewing you, "Uh, how many shifts am I going to get? What am I going to make earning here? It's something that you're just simply not allowed to ask. Mm -hmm. So as a proponent for labor, I decided that I wanted to create an open source database that they could put all their working conditions availability, you know, and their experience, and
0: submit it to hundreds of restaurants with a single click. You're yeah. already getting into some some pretty technical stuff. You know, it sounds like you're thinking, you know, really outside the box about... A need, and then you kind of attacked it with you know a solution, right? So, um, so that that's the kind of skill set that sounds really interesting for this position. But why don't you continue? So you, of you you've you've been in this business track. So go ahead.
1: So after that, an opportunity presented itself uh, where I got into the textile industry, and so for the last decade, I worked for a manufacturer where I designed, manufactured, and distributed a men's and women's hosiery mm-hmm. for the big box stores, whether it was Brooks Brothers, Eddie Bauer, Bass, mm-hmm. Philip husen If you've worn a fashion sock that has color in it over the last decade, there is a strong possibility that I either designed it or produced it.
0: Right. You're a business guy, you have you know, you've been in the, I guess, uh, you know, the corporate realm, you've been in the um, entrepreneurial realm, um, a little bit of tech, and so you, you seem like a pretty good, well-rounded business person, you know?
1: What I like to say is I'm a facilitator. My entire purpose throughout my career is trying to get information, product, and systems to work in the most efficient manner so that people save time, money, and energy, which allows them to get more accomplished. The, m- the more efficient a system is, the more productivity we can do, and the more uh, exploration and attempts to better businesses and societies come from these systems. So I obsess over how to make things easier in people's lives, and that is my sole purpose throughout my career. My current company is called HeshiSocks.com. I started my own brand five years ago. Mm. I got tired of making product for the big companies who started making inferior products and charging more for the same product. So you're just gonna pay for the brand. You're not actually paying for quality. So I decided to start a brand that had all the bells and whistles that worked seamlessly in dress shoes and sneakers and was at a price cheaper than the competition. Right. So I'm constantly, constantly trying to rework the system so that you can get the best quality product at the cheapest price in the most efficient manner.
0: Right. Uh, right.
1: And that, to parlay it completely applies to what we're seeing in town hall right? Mm-hmm. Town Hall is not running as efficient as it should be. And the reason I got into this race is because I have been successful in, in love and in life and in career. And I am passionate about bringing that success to everybody in my community. And I simply want to work to make Town Hall as efficient as possible.
0: Right. So a lot of the debate that we've been hearing or the, uh, you know, the bickering, arguing that we hear about, you know, both sides is like, uh, you know, people that look at politicians or people that, you know, public service. And they, you know, they ask the questions, well, what have you ever built? You know, what have you ever done? What have you ever you know made? And so, folks, here is somebody, a good communicator. And so this is why I asked you to come do this interview. Now, lay out the, the race here. And, you know, and your opponent. Because I don't know squat about George Holman. I've been living in Clarkstown since 2003. And, you know, I'm sure he's been around that entire time. I did speak to him one time at one of those uh, debates. It was afterwards. And I asked him because I heard that he had brought uh, solar to, uh, like, this solar array to Clarkstown. And I wanted to understand the deal that was struck. And when I spoke to him... I asked him, like, you know, what was the company? What was the the structuring? And then he told me, oh, yeah, no, we got one of those deals where it's like the company comes in and just puts their panels in, and they're collecting all the energy, and we're just on some kind of lease where we just buy the energy off of them. And I'm like, oh, this wasn't what I thought at all. I thought Clarksand was investing in solar, and we were buying these collectors, and that we were going to be paying it down and then generating free, clean energy for, you know, for for a generation. And And it turned out it was this other kind of deal. And I asked him what was the financing arrangements and everything. He couldn't even tell me. He was like, oh, I'll have to get back to you on that. So, you know, I have I have solar on my roof. I know, you know, there's those no money down deals where they just kind of lock you into a, you know, a rate. And then they're producing solar like crazy and they're making a ton of money off of it. And so that was my only encounter ever with George Holman. And so I'm, I'm really at a loss who he is and what he's about. So from your perspective, why don't you, you know, give us the lay of the land? Sure. My
1: perspective is that the current administration is a smoker, smoke and mirror show that had the benefit of 2015. If we go back six years, when Mr. Holman first won his his first election as town supervisor, he was running a race against uh, Mr. Gromack, who had been an institution in this town forever.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mr. Gromack had reached a point of a tipping point of corruption within his administration that made his his continuation in government almost untenable. It, it really was a perfect time for somebody to come in, and George was happy to be that person to come in. Mm-hmm. Uh, ironically, George was appointed to the town council by Alexander Gromack uh, six years before that when an
0: opening uh, opened up in the council as a Republican uh, left the seat. Mm-hmm. And he, I was in a Gromac who was a Democrat,
1: chose to re, uh, replace the seat with George, who was a Republican, at the objection of
0: Democrats.
1: Right. And you know, the irony is, is that the guy that he put in is the guy who replaced him. Now, while this was going on, during their race, a story came out that George had been lying and misrepresenting himself as somebody who had a master's
0: degree in MBA from Notre Dame University Wow the New York the New York Post in 2015 had
1: an article that said there are no records of this man even though he has it up on multiple uh, resume sites hmm. but again mr. Gromax time had come to pass so it just didn't hold the same weight then,
0: that I think it does now, when you look at the whole picture. Right. Because the
1: picture was, is that Alexander Gromack was very well-funded. He had something like $800,000 in what? his campaign account, <sighs> which was a trem- tremendous amount of money for a town supervisor. Yeah. Now, what happened was, George Holman received over $200,000 in donations, and That $200,000 came from one source, okay? So after George won this upset election, people started looking into this money, right? including the police department. One of the sergeants within the police department started looking into this, and then he told the chief of police, who at the time was Michael Sullivan of what was going on, And it started to become a thing after Chief Sullivan passed this information along to the district attorney. The next thing you know, Mr. Holman demanded that Chief Sullivan remove this sergeant from his position. And when Chief Sullivan objected to doing it, he subsequently fired Chief Sullivan through the board, the town board that he was on. And he, George Holman, was the one who cast the deciding vote that terminated Chief Sullivan.
0: Right. So you could see
1: already right. the guilt and the conflict of interest
0: that was involved in this situation. Can you back yeah. up Can you back up a sec? You said that in his first race that he, you know, and he was going up against well-funded Alex Gromack, who was controversial because he kind of straddled the line between Democrat and Republican. Um, and then... Um, You said Homan had this donation of $200,000. Could you just explain who the money actually came from? So the money uh, came from,
1: yeah, it came from a police officer who uh, seemingly had an issue with the police department. He was uh, out on disability and then was subsequently uh, terminated when he uh, didn't come back to work. They demanded he came back to work, and he argued that he uh, was disabled, and it went through systems, and ultimately, the decision was made to terminate him. And the theory and argument, uh, not from me, but from the papers, states that this man decided to donate, it was something along the lines of $216,000, so George Holman's campaign with the allegation that when George won, he would reinstate this man into the department because he
0: happened to be 11 months shy of his 20-year pension. Wow. And so you're...
1: But uh, I want to say that there's no, you know, there has never been
0: any official, you know, corroboration that that is what took place. That is what has been alleged. Right, that's the the media speculation, understood. I I, I am remembering hearing or reading about this back when, but, you know, it is just astounding that what's not in dispute is that there was a police officer who had $200,000 laying around to donate to a political candidate.
1: He was on disability, and then he was terminated because he wouldn't return to work, and he wanted to go through the the procedures, right. but this man, you know, had found success in the private sector, so he he seemingly had that those kind of funds, those kind of I, as I say to friends and family, you know, to the average person, two hundred thousand dollars is obscene, right? Most I mean, of us cannot write that kind of check.
0: Can't even right, conceive a, of it. Yeah,
1: I can't. Yeah, we, we can't fathom it. Right, but. Certain people live, you know, different lifestyles. And I don't begrudge anyone for earning a good living. Like, it's America, and everyone should, you know, pursue their their happiness and their economic prosperity. I very much am a capitalist, and I believe in, you know, in working hard and being rewarded. I have my opinions about, you know, loopholes and tax structures and and all those sorts of things that we could get into, you know, one day if I run for president. But um, in terms of this uh, election, for all intents and purposes, he opened up his administration wrought with scandal.
0: Right. And, you know, nobody begrudges anybody that does well in business, makes a lot of money. You know, who knows how much he was worth? And then he peeled off 200000 for this, for you know, to donate to this campaign. But when you said he was a police officer you know, on disability, you know, that's weird, you know, usually it's, you know, that's more of a middle class person and, you know, the campaign really stinks to Denmark. And, and I'd like to, you know, move on to Holman's I guess, next term or, uh, you know, that was his beginning. And so bring us through what okay. happens next.
1: So what happened was in 2017, the next term, uh, Chief Sullivan actually ran a campaign to be town supervisor against Mr. Holman. right? right? But Chief Sullivan was behind the eight ball because Chief Sullivan was the one who was fired. Right. And their, their case was in litigation. So George could always hide behind the idea that he can't discuss the merits of the case because it's in litigation, while Mike Sullivan had to defend his honor and argue on his behalf to the community in which half the community just arbitrarily thought that he was the bad guy. So he was, as I said, stuck behind the eight ball because he was stifled by the courts, right? Because mm-hmm. you can't, you could always hide behind, oh, it's in litigation, it's in litigation, right?
0: Yeah, I re- so, yeah, I, remember, I remember the debate. I was there. That was when I asked Holman the question. It was right after that debate. Um, it was... You know, it, it was kind of complicated for me as a casual observer at the time. But I thought Sullivan, he seemed like, uh, you know, he, he was actually a decent candidate and that there this whole backstory, you know, kind of got convoluted and, uh, you know, made him kind of like a, a complicated figure. But I, I am remembering a little bit of what you're talking about now. Um, right, so, so, right. so ple- please continue. So, so he ran, he oh, no. ran against homie. We all know that ultimately
1: George Holman prevailed in that race as well. And then in 2019, he ran against Nicole Dolaner. And same thing, you know, she's not going to relitigate Chief Sullivan's case. But, you know, she tried to litigate uh, slightly. George Holman at the time just started a job in New Jersey where he was teaching religious classes at a public institution at Montclair State University. Now, I don't begrudge anyone for, you know, earning a living on the side or having, you know, a a business or another avenue of revenue, but Mr. Holman was teaching classes out of state on town hall hours.
0: Mm. Okay, and that's been established? Oh, it very much has been established.
1: In fact, he's still doing it to this day. Right. For the last three years, Mr. Holman has been teaching every semest- semester between two and three classes a semester during the work week, during work hours, during the hours of town hall operations from 9 to 5. Right. Okay? So, I ask you, how can you oversee and efficiently run town hall where people are subject to oversight when the boss is no show for what computes to a half a year's
0: worth of time over the last 3 years this sounds to me like did he get some kind of special dispensation where he's supposed to make up that time in the evening or how does that work how do you just how can you possibly just do this, this-
1: well his fans will argue that George is a tireless, uh, a tireless representative for the community who shows up at the events and goes to the awards and cuts the ribbons and meets you on Maine and, and says hi to you on the weekends. And, you know, that is what they think the job is. And I tell people that's the cherry on top of the job. Yes, the job is interacting with the community, saying hello, shaking hands, cutting ribbons with the business. But the real work is done behind the scenes. The real work is unraveling the redundancy and the messes within our government institutions.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And that is being neglected, right? To say that somebody is available when it's a snowstorm and he's up at two in the morning you know, reporting to the community about what's going on, I say, well, of course, that's part of the job, right? Right. Holding the town hall meetings on Tuesday nights at 7 o'clock, that's part of the job. But also a big part of the job, which you're paid a healthy salary, unbelievable benefits, a car, gas, easy pass, all all the amenities, all the kit and caboodle, right? You have to be there. You have to be at town hall. You have to be available to the community. You have to be available available to the employees of town hall. And if you're not on the days you're not there, is everyone else taking it easy? Right. Is everyone yeah. else saying, "Well, he's not here." You know. Think about you're a teacher, right? Think about when it's a substitute teacher or there is no teacher and and they and they come into the classroom and they say, put on a video.
0: Yeah, right? things fall apart. Tell us about the you know requirements of the job. Is this actually in writing somewhere where there are specific hours and, and, and you know and how is this arranged that he's just not doing it? I
1: think it's simply hubris. I think it's a man who just thinks that, you know, he has the town. Believing that he's this this nice man who's doing nice by the community. But as we saw in conclusion, to bring it all back around, this summer, Cole Hatcher, who was the sergeant who was who George Holman wanted Chief Sullivan to remove and replace, won his lawsuit against George Holman and the town. And the lawsuit was a unanimous decision of eight zero and it awarded uh, Sergeant Hatcher a million-dollar settlement, which included $216,000 in personal liability towards the town supervisor, George Holman, which was the exact number of the campaign contribution in question.
0: Okay, explain who Hatcher is again.
1: Okay, so Cole Hatcher was the uh, sergeant within the... Uh, Police Department, who first uncovered this donation of $216,000. He then passed on this information to the chief of police, who
0: passed it on to the district attorney. And the chief of police was fired in retaliation. Was Chief Sullivan, who was fired when he didn't immediately replace Sergeant Hatcher, who was the one who uncovered this uh, questionable donation okay and so and and hatcher was was also uh, fired in retaliation well he he resigned in protest okay right? so the writing
1: was on the wall i believe he resigned in protest but the writing was on the wall and he was clearly being retaliated against which was ultimately shown in the decision right in the decision it was proven that and this is the most egregious part of the whole thing once there was this sort of knowledge that things were being investigated. Mr. Holman then started going through uh, police department emails, town hall official emails, and citizen emails to uncover who was talking about this situation. Right. So he betrayed the trust of the police department. He fired officers, essentially defunding the police department, Mm -hmm. and was shown to be personally responsible for $216,000 worth of of damages. Which, from what we gather, is all going to be paid by the insurance company because
0: they ultimately came to a settlement that included that sort of protection. So this raises premiums or something for every Clarkstown resident now because the insurance company is paying this out? I mean, does that come? Well, to- I mean, I, I, talk to anyone who's ever gotten into a
1: minor fender bender in the parking lot that wasn't even their fault. If, you're, if your car is in a parking lot and it gets bumped or
0: scratched and you put in a claim, your insurance goes up. Yeah. So, so who in this town doesn't think that our insurance and our premiums are going up? Let alone maybe being dropped by this insurance company altogether. Right, and then there's like an insurance rating, right, because of that. And furthermore, Chief Sullivan
1: also has a lawsuit that's been going on for years that is pending. That's estimated to come in at somewhere between three and four million dollars in settlement liability.
0: Right, right? Be- because so he if was, if, yeah, because he if, he was if, he was if, directly fired.
1: Correct, and so if. Sergeant Hatcher won 8-0 unanimously based on his case, and his case is ultimately tied to Chief Sullivan's case. You know, it's almost a a, a, a layup.
0: I can't believe that this is going to be costing us so much money.
1: Yeah, it's it's a tragedy, and what's what's worse is you know his supporters and the the sort of cognitive dissonance of believing that this man is. All, all goodness, and yet there's these endless, you know, proofs of corruption, of lies, of betrayals, and yet that sort of, of, a, of a certain um, segment of our town, they dismiss it because, you know, they don't want to believe it. They don't
0: want it to be true about their guy, right. about the guy with an R in front of his name. Right, tribalism. And, and my, we're stuck in this world of tribalism. And the where, Democrats, and you know what's you know what's strange, Jeffrey? Because the Democrats, we got rid of Mac because, you know, there was some cheesy stuff going on. And, you know, same thing with Cuomo. We got rid of Cuomo. We got rid of Al Franken. You know, the Democrats clean house, and the Republicans just turn the other way. They just look the other way. There, there,
1: there is no foundation of whataboutism. Right. You know, he's my, it's my guy. And if he's my guy, I'm gonna I'm gonna defend him to the death. And that's just not who I am.
0: Town stuff, you know, it it's it's not on the news, it's not in the papers too much, you know, a lot of this is just word of mouth and then, you know, there might be an article here and there in the journal news, but this isn't like, you know, a lot of wall to wall coverage on a lot of this stuff.
1: That's a great point. And this is the point that I've tried to emphasize to the community, right? I grew up here And we had the journal news delivered to our house every day. I remember sitting on the floor, opening the sports section and reading all the baseball players' stats every Sunday as they listed it all. My dad would be sitting at the table reading all the sections. And it was a robust paper and a paper that this town could be proud of. You know, several years ago, I think the Tribune company bought the journal news and like all local institutions, it's all been contracted into a one-journalist-fits-all publication. Yeah. So we have basically one journalist in this town who works for Journal News, Lohud. We have News 12 and we have 1770 Radio, right? But the community, you know, they have a very
0: low distribution readership and listening audience. Right. Now... How do people get their news?
1: They get their news through Facebook chat groups and (laughs) community boards, okay? And this has opened up our community to nonsense, right? When I entered this race, all the people, you know, as as an outsider, people came pouring to me with, oh, did you know this? Did you know this about George? Did you know this? Did you know George's nephew, Uh, runs the biggest landscaping company in town called Curdy Landscaping. Did you know this? Did you know that he lied about his education? Did you know about, you know, these relationships? Did you know about this? No. Nobody knew. But all the people who were close to the sun, the people who've been in politics for years, would say to me, oh,
0: everyone knows. Everyone knows this. And I would say, nobody knows this. (laughs) Right. Right. So you're talking about you're talking about the the insiders all know this, people that follow politics, people that live and breathe this stuff. And then when you have um, an off year election, what's the actual turnout? It's very low. You know, the the average person doesn't know any of this. They don't even know who's running. You
1: know, George has name recognition for all his years here, but. I mean, I remember a study, uh, an article in Time Magazine where they used to have the statistics at the front. And I remember when Dick Cheney was the vice president. I remember opening up Time Magazine and it said sixty-seven percent of the country can't name the vice president. Right. And I was blown away by that. So, do you think sixty-seven percent of Clarkstown knows who George Holman is up until the point
0: of? You might see our our lawn signs and our billboards all over town during right. the election. No, yeah, absolutely not. I mean, the, the turnout says it all. It's very low turnout uh, on the off years. You know, and the, the people that do turn out, a lot of them are just reflexive, uh, you know, party voters. And then, and then you know, there's another layer of people who might say, hey, I saw that name on a lawn sign. You know, the issues that that you're kind of spelling out here, you know, it's pretty damning information if only it could reach people. And so I I appreciate that. I mean, you know, to me it just sounds like the typical political stuff. Pay for play, it's like campaign donations, it's like patronage, jobs, retaliation, loyalty. Board board, board
1: appointments to friends and family. People have been, you know, up in arms about these developments. And I think this is a good a good chance for us to like, you know, move over into like why I'm in this race. I'm not just in this race because Mr. Holman has all these, you know, skeletons. I'm in this race because when I was looking at the data, I was blown away by the fact that we were rapidly losing our student enrollment in public schools. Mm. that over the course of the last eight to ten years, we've continuously lost our student enrollment population. And now when you look at it from year to year and you say, oh, we lost 2%, which might just be like 50 kids, it doesn't seem like much. But tell that, you know, I'll give the example of somebody who gains two pounds a year for, you know, 20 years. Suddenly, you know, you got a stomach and you go, how did that happen?
0: Right. So, so when did that run, when did that run begin, if you know?
1: So it began roughly in 2012. In 2012, we had approximately 3,000 students in Clarkstown North and Clarkstown South,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? And as of uh, last year, we were down 17% in Felix Festa North and South. And based on the student enrollment of, of last year, uh, pre COVID enrollments, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We were on pace, based on the enrollments of the elementary schools, to be down 30% by the end of the decade in our junior high and high schools.
0: So you're saying that we are down 17% since 2012? Yes. Wow. Okay. I mean, I haven't heard anything like that from the Republicans. That's interesting. That's very interesting.
1: They don't want to share that news because, the you know... They use coded words. You know, we've all heard over and over again about, uh, you know, preserving Clarkstown. And we all remember in 2019, uh, the storm. Do we all remember the storm?
0: Oh, word? yeah, the storm is coming, yeah.
1: Okay. So they use these trigger words and these whistles to the community. And they have spent their administration trying to fear monger the community uh, towards you know, a certain segment of our society, mm-hmm. and they have argued that they are the protectors of the realm. Now, the irony is, is that they've always advocated for no overdevelopment. No overdevelopment, right? right? Which was just, which was code again, right? So what what we did was, by not doing any version of development and not attracting young working professionals to our community. We essentially suffocated the lifeblood of a healthy society. And every healthy society is dependent on the replenishment of our youth. You know, the developers still want to develop, but they have to come up with a fancy way to to do this without scaring the community, or so they thought, right? So what they did was they found this loophole where they could specially zone all of these, you know, plots as senior living.
0: Right. Or better known as fifty-five and older. Right. And this is one of the biggest cons
1: going in our town. Right? What this town is dealing with is, as I said, my parents migrated here from the Bronx in the in the eighties you know, the 70s and 80s was a mass migration from the Bronx to Clarkstown. And it was a flourishing suburban community with robust schools. You know, our high school was highly rated and everyone considered our town a top-notch educational institution, right? Mm -hmm. But fast forward 25 years later and that... That segment of the population are now baby boomers who are in their 60s and 70s mm-hmm. who no longer have children in their houses, but they still live in these homes. And they're not leaving because they have no mortgage, their taxes broken over 12 months a year run roughly 1200 to $1,500 a month. Uh-huh Now, all of these fifty five and older developments, they're talking about charging baseline or fair market rates for one bedrooms that are coming in at twenty five hundred to three thousand dollars a month.
0: So you so okay? yeah, so you're not gonna get the locals then?
1: Right. You're not gonna get the locals. You're gonna get people from higher price point areas whether it's Westchester or New York City, Brooklyn, you know, some woman who's owned her brownstone for 50 years who no longer wants to live there or her family wants to get her out of there, they'll shuffle her down to Clarkstown. So all we're doing is adding more seniors to our community, but the seniors who live in these houses who had the 2.1 children per household have zero children per household and since Clarkstown was built out and developed in the 80s and 90s we simply don't have the residential land to simply manufacture thousands of houses to replenish the population
0: that's why the school enrollment is declining because we're getting old people (laughs) we're not getting families
1: correct correct my plan one People are very, you know, people are up in arms about these 55 and older developments because they're hijacking our open spaces and our green lands, right? And people don't want these multi-unit residential uh, apartment complexes in these single-unit residential neighborhoods. And I completely agree with them on that matter. Mm -hmm. However, we have several distressed areas and assets in our commercial and warehouse districts that are primed for this kind of reinvention. Mm -hmm. And those include the shops in Nanuet, the Nanuet Rail Line, and the Palisades Mall. Ah. All three locales are struggling in terms of the retail sector and also are ripe for development so that we can attract those young working professionals from the city to lay roots into our community establish equity and ultimately love our neighborhood spend their disposable income start a family and then transition with that equity into these homes that we want to be owned by people with children and covid while has you know it has decimated the globe in many ways covid has also provided this unique opportunity for Clarkstown. Clarkstown was always considered a second choice or a third choice due to our poor mass transit options, Mm -hmm. right? So people who lived in the city who wanted to live in the suburbs, they would choose Long Island. They would choose Westchester. They would choose New Jersey. And they sometimes would settle on Clarkstown or Rockland, you know, but now People have proof of concept for white-collar workers who no longer
0: have to go and commute into the office five days a week. Right. So
1: now, those people who maybe only have to go into the office two days a week, it's not the same burden. Right. Which means that if we build <laughs> residential opportunities at the Palisades Mall, where there's a bus stop that goes direct shot to the city, or the Nanuet rail line, where people could come right out of their apartment, hop on the train, and get to the city, we now can create the opportunity to leverage these mass transit systems to our benefit.
0: Yeah, I've heard that one out of five college-educated, uh, working-age people um, have the have had the opportunity to work remotely, and that they're looking at that statistic uh, that can that can make a very big dent in. The transportation systems and the amount of carbon that's being burned off. And, uh, you know, the pandemic might really change the way that we look at things. That, that's a great point. So, yeah, as as we're kind of winding down here, um, what is your appeal to the maybe Republican or independent voter or even the non-voter to, to turn out and to turn your friends out, you know, to really make this election mean something? We know that the Democrats are going to vote for you, you know, and then we know, you know, that there's there's been a ceiling, you know, in the past couple of elections against Homan. What is your, I guess, pitch to kind of sure. overcome that, you know, get over that hump?
1: Well, I'll, I'll conclude with, you know, people are always, you know, skeptical of development. But me and the Democrats have proposed a plan where 60 percent of of any taxes generated from new residents from these new developments 60 percent of those taxes that come in will go into a special fund which will then go to subsidize our already existing tax base thereby giving you a tax benefit or a refund on our local taxes people complain about taxes all the time but to answer your question I want to just say to the community, whether you're Republican, Democrat, or independent, my message is very straightforward, and it's from the heart. I am a small business owner, as I said. Uh, This is my first time in politics, and I am completely beholden to no institution or apparatus within this community. I am offering this community the fresh start that it so badly deserves. lawyers, no donations from insurance companies. I don't have any friends or family not agree with a hundred percent what I'm trying to do, but you can know that what I'm trying to do is genuine and it's in the best interest of this town. I have no other agenda than to make things work. There's nothing that bothers me more than listening to people just complain or have a defeatist attitude and offer no solutions. We have been programmed right now to be apathetic and to just be defeatist, and to say that there's no hope, and that this is the best we can do. And I'm telling the community that we can do so much better than this. And it will be my pleasure and my honor if a town of 90,000 people
0: give me the mandate to do this job. That was a great campaign pitch. Um, folks, uh, You know what, I, what I'm hearing is a thinker... A manager, a problem solver. it sounds like somebody that we really need to kind of wash away this this long, long generations long system we've had of just under the radar insiders and you know people that were just reward their friends and their and their families, and they just soak it all up, you know, and then they end up costing us tons and tons of money on these settlements. It's ridiculous, you know, over loyalties and backstabbing and God, you know, the guy went public. The guy was reporting that this questionable donation came in and he gets fired. And then the guy that wouldn't fire him gets fired. It's crazy what you're saying. So I hope folks uh, give Jeffrey Greenberg your vote Um, On November 2nd, Um, I am endorsing. My name is Jake Jacobs. I'm endorsing from New York Update. We hope that there's just a real turnaround in this next election, Jeffrey.
1: Yes, we can't be complacent. We must show up to vote. When Democrats show up to vote, Democrats win. This is a Democrat town, and we can't let indifference win. Show up to vote. Bring your friends. Tell your friends. Email your friends.
0: Alright, so thanks again, and um, for New York Update, this is Jake Jacobs. Uh, be on the lookout for our episodes. We are at nyupdate.org, and we're available on Anchor, Spotify, we're on Apple iTunes. So, baby, Catch us anytime. Thanks you so much, folks. Thanks for listening to New York yes, Update. Catch us on Twitter Update and So baby, please proceed to get the love I need. I want your loving, yes ¡Suscríbete sí.